0: All right, hey, we're doing something today uh, that for some of you is going to uh, potentially feel a little bit different if you haven't been here very long, but it's been kind of a long saying tradition around here that every once in a while we just stop and we do a Sunday called Question and Answer Sunday. So we collected questions last week and then we collected questions uh, this morning and we're just going to go dig in and say, what does scripture say about that question? It's a great Sunday because it gives me as a pastor just a sense of what's going on in your hearts and what's going on. Uh, in the life of our church. And so honestly, sometimes we build whole sermon series because we say, wow, that question got asked over and over and over again. So apparently we need to go spend some time on it. It gives me a chance to just kind of figure out where we are spiritually together. It's just a great, great Sunday. And then sometimes we answer stuff that we never would have even thought about dealing with because you asked it. We say, wow, it's a great question. Let's talk about it. So that's what we're going to do uh, together this morning. If you came here for a sermon. Uh, this may be a little different because it's going to be a little bit more like a Bible study than it is a sermon. But you and I are going to have a chance, hopefully, to, to see some things, uh, get some things that we would not normally have gotten. And just so you know, every single service uh, is different and we answer different questions. And uh, you might want to go online and look at First Hour. First Hour, a couple of the things that we uh, tackled together was um, uh, what about capital punishment? Is it biblical? Is it non biblical? Uh, What about uh, degrees of sin? Are there some sins that are worse than other sins, or are all sins exactly the same? Uh, We talked about uh, what do you do if you find yourself uh, married to someone who doesn't know Jesus? What's the next thing that you do? Because we've talked so much about not being unequally yoked, but what if you already are? Uh, What do you do then? And we tackled that last hour. So you may want to go back and then. Uh, next hour, a couple of the ones we already know we're going after because you asked, we're gonna talk about suicide. Is suicide the unpardonable uh, s- sin? Um, if you're dating someone, how far is too far to go physically? Okay, how far is too far? Holding hands, <clears throat> uh, no, I'm no, Uh And then uh, when the other question we're tackling next hour is, uh, what if you're um, a parent and you're a believer and, and the, your spouse is not a believer, how, what do you do in your home when there's clear disagreement about spiritual matters and maybe even some moral issues? How do you uh, tackle that? So that's all next hour. Uh, but you and I are going to dive into this hour together and uh, answer a few questions that were uh, burning on your hearts. Uh, so here's, uh, here's the first one. Uh, can I beat up my friends and family and just drag them to church? Sure. <laughs> Why not? Just, just do me a favor first, take your cornerstone bumper sticker off your car before you do that, so that when they arrest you, uh, it's not in the camera shot. So, but yeah, I mean, you know, if you, if, if you think that that's effective uh, evangelism, go for it. Yeah. Okay. I, I, by the way, I've never seen anyone beat up into the kingdom. I've never seen anyone except Jesus because, uh, anyways. All right, here we go. Uh, what does the Bible say about dinosaurs? This one was huge. People are deeply worried about dinosaurs. Uh, in case you haven't noticed, they're gone. Uh, they're all dead, um, but people are deeply, deeply uh, worried about them. Uh, so go ahead, do me a favor, uh, grab your Bibles, go with me um, to the book of Job. The book of Job. Now here's how you're going to get there. You're going to take your fingers and you're going to open up your Bible somewhere in the middle. And when you do, then you're probably going to find this book of Psalms, and you'll go a little bit to the left, and you're going to find uh, the book of Job. It is not the book of Job. It has nothing to do with your job search. Uh, It is the book of Job, Job uh, chapter 40. Now, here's the thing. We're going to be looking at tons of Scripture together today, this is just a reminder that you always 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 want to bring your bible to church you don't care what my opinion is you want to know if i'm teaching things which are reflective of scripture and are accurate to truth and i'm just telling you you come unarmed to church you come unprepared when you don't bring your bible so i just want to encourage you bring your bible i don't care if it's on your phone i don't care bring your Bible, because you're going to want to know whether or not what we're saying is true and accurate to what God teaches. So here we are. It's the book of Job. Um, I'm going to suggest that there are actually references in the Bible uh, to dinosaurs. Anybody know what the oldest book of the Bible is? How many say Genesis? Okay, that's a good try. Uh, It's not... Matter of fact, Genesis is written by Moses. Uh, Moses writes, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The oldest book in the Bible is actually the book of Job, written before all the rest of the books. And here we are, it's the book of Job, it's chapter uh, 40, and I'm going to suggest that this is a reference uh, to a dinosaur. Here we go, Job uh, chapter 40, uh, verse 15, here's what it says. Uh, Look at the behemoth. Uh, which I made along with you and which feeds on the grass and the ox. So this is God talking to Job and he's saying, hey, think for a minute about the behemoth. I'm going to suggest to you that this is not what you and I traditionally call like a woolly mammoth type of an animal. That's not what this is because read on, look what it says. Uh, what strength he has in his loins and what power in the muscles of his belly. And here get ready to go. His tail, his tail is like a cedar. So the tail of this creature, whatever it is, is like a tree off the back of this animal. That does not describe an elephant. This is is something with a tree-like tail off the back. The sinews of his thighs uh, are close-knit. His bones are like tubes of bronze. His limbs are like the rods of iron. He ranks first. So this is like the biggest thing. Uh, He ranks first among the works of God, yet his maker uh, can approach him with his sword. Okay? Now flip over just a little bit further uh, in the book to chapter 41, uh, starting in verse 1. Uh, Who can pull, uh, Job chapter 41, verse 1, who can pull in the Leviathan with a fish hook or tie down his tongue with a rope? So get, this thing is so big. You can't tie down its tongue with a rope. And I'm going to suggest it's bigger than a whale. Uh, You can put a cord, uh, can you put a cord around his nose or pierce his jaw with a hook? Will he keep begging you for mercy? Will he speak to you like a gentle, with gentle words? Will he make an agreement with you for you to take him as your slave for a life? Can you make a pet of him like a bird or put him on a leash for your girls? Will traders barter for him? Will they divide him among the merchants? Can you fill his hide with harpoons or his head with fishing spears, saying, "Look, you go out. The thing is so big, you can't harpoon him like you can a whale. You still won't bring this guy down. Uh, and if you lay a hand on him, you will remember the struggle and never do it again. OK? <laughs> So I'm just going to suggest I think the book of Job here has some references that actually uh, are references potentially uh, to dinosaurs. And and here's the deal: Uh, you get that there are dinosaur fossils. Matter of fact, this is this is a fossilized dinosaur jawbone. Uh, So the answer is, guys, and you know there is no doubt. There isn't any. Dinosaurs are real. I think the reason we keep asking about dinosaurs is people going, okay, wait a minute. How do you get a seven-day creation? How do you get a young Earth? Because no matter how far you stretch it as a Christian, we probably don't come up with the millions and billions of years that the average evolutionist uh, comes up with. How do you factor that in uh, to the biblical account? And all I'm going to suggest to you is, guys, is that I personally am am really reticent to believe that the earth is as old as, as you and I are being told. So here's, let me see if I can help us with that just a little bit. Here's how we get to an awful lot of our... Uh, dating that you and I have. Uh, It's a thing called carbon 14. And carbon 14, it's a great theory, uh, it just doesn't work. Uh, And and here's why I'm going to suggest that it doesn't. Carbon 14 uh, basically comes off of this premise, that as the sun shines down on the earth, that uh, radioactivity uh, ends up infiltrating into everything. Every plant has a marginal amount of radioactivity. Our soil has a marginal amount of radioactivity. Everything. And then as you and I imbibe things, as we eat things, you and I also consume. And so every living creature has a slight amount of radioactivity within them. Carbon 14 says, so when you die, you'll stop eating things that are radioactive, and when you die, chances are you're going to get covered over by dirt, so you're no longer going to be exposed to the sun like you were, so you're no longer taking in new radiation. Radiation breaks down, and as it breaks down, it turns to carbon, and so the answer is, if I find an old skeletal remain, whether that be of an animal or of a person, and I look for that radiation, and if I find very, 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 very little radiation, then it's only logical that that item, that bone, must be very, 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 very old. Because everybody, every living creature starts with a certain amount of creation or radiation just by being on the earth. Once you die, you're not taking it in, and that radiation is going to begin to deplenish because you're no longer eating and living in the sun. Okay? Therefore, dead things lose their radiation. It's, it's just a natural scientific process. The less radiation you find, the older it must be. Does that make sense? You follow me so far? How many people say, I, Lynn, I am so lost. I have no idea. Okay, a couple of us are. Okay? So, everybody, everything has radiation. When you die, you stop taking in radiation. The less radiation a bone has, the older probably the fossil is that you're taking a look at. This would be a great theory if if the earth has always remained the same. But here's my question. What if the earth hasn't always remained the same? What if there were certain times in which there was more or less radiation coming to the earth than there is today? That would screw everything up, wouldn't it? Grab your Bibles. Because I'm going to suggest that the Bible already told us this answer. Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Here we go. Uh, Most of us know this story. Uh, We just have skipped over these couple verses. You ready for this? Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Here's what it says. In the beginning, uh, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day, second day. And God said, let there be an expanse between the waters. Now here's what happens. You and I read that and we think he's talking about continents. Look a lot closer because he's not talking about continents. Ready? God said, let there be an expanse between the waters to separate the water from the water. So God made the expanse, and he separated the water under the expanse from the water above it, and it was so, and God called the expanse what? Sky. So let's draw this out. God said, okay, uh, there's water. And now we're going to make a gap. We're going to create an expanse between the waters. And we're going to take this gap this expanse and we're going to call it sky now if that's true if we've got water here and between this water and the next water is a thing called sky where's the next water there's water it's separated by something called sky where birds fly And then there's water again. Isn't that interesting? So the Bible just told you that pre-flood, pre-Noah's Ark, the earth was actually surrounded by water. Now, if that's the case, you know, here's something really cool. Then the entire earth was like a greenhouse. It's why things grew everywhere. It's why when you go to the Arctic right now, you have huge, massive coal deposits. Well, where where does coal come from? Coal comes from plants. How do you have huge, huge coal deposits in the Arctic if plants have never grown there? And the answer is they used to. Pre-flood, the earth is like a greenhouse. And think about this for a moment. If there's water, how many have ever gone out to the lake and been in an inner tube for about three hours? Okay? What happened to you for being in the inner tube for about three hours, floating on the water? You got microwaved. You did. Because what the water does is it takes much of what the sun does and reflects it back up, and you got cooked on both sides. It was like convection oven, okay? Guess what was happening pre-flood? Tons of this radiation was coming down and reflecting back out. Which means those things that were living on the earth pre-flood, how much radiation were they getting? Tiny, 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 tiny. Which means when you go back and date something pre-flood, it's going to look old, old, old to you. Because there's not much radiation left. And yet scripture already told you that's exactly what we are going to find. Matter of fact, isn't it interesting, think about this. Before anyone understood radiation, before anyone told us about this, when you read the account of the flood... And as soon as Noah steps off the ark, remember how long people used to live back in the early part of the scripture? They're going, I was 600 years old. wow, that's weird. Yeah, he had his first son when he was 400. You're like, what? I said, wow, it's weird. The second the flood happens, okay, the second we have Noah's ark, and I'm going to suggest this expanse now comes down. It's part of what creates the flood. Immediately as they get off the ark, what does God say about lifespans? The lifespan of a man will now be 80 years. Isn't that interesting? Before they even understood, read really, it, God says, look, I just, this just changed. This is very different now. You're not going to live as long as you used to live because of what's just happened. Okay? So here's the answer, I'm just going to suggest out loud. There are dinosaurs. Really, so then you know, someone's going to go, ugh. How'd they get dinosaurs on the ark? <laughs> here's the cool part about dinosaurs. Are dinosaurs mammalian or are they reptilian? The reptilians, all they had to do was take dinosaur eggs on the ark. Right? You don't have to take that big old thing with the cedar tail because that'd be ugly. That'd be bad. All you have to do is take eggs. So here's what I'm just going to suggest. I don't know this answer, guys. I don't know where it goes. Either the dinosaurs have died pre-Noah, and that's possible. Maybe they've already died before Noah ever gets on the ark, or they've got a bunch of eggs in the back of the ship okay, there's your answer to dinosaurs, okay, and in that new environment that now has lots of cold that this earth had never experienced before, it's really, really hard for dinosaurs to to survive, I'm going to suggest to you it doesn't take meteorites to make dinosaurs extinct, it takes a cold winter, okay, all right, there you go, you can do with that what you want, all right, next question, how many, who's angry about that, all right, all right, here we go, uh, do, uh, do you know anything about the 16 scriptures eliminated from the King James Version that changes Christian doctrine? I was, gi- I was given a documentary just made within the last year regarding this. So here's, here's the, the rest of it. It's not just the King James Version that doesn't have uh, the books that you're referring to right here included in them. The reality is there, there is the, the vast, 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 vast majority of Christianity that excludes those books. The only group that allows any of those books in are the Catholics. No one else allows those books in, okay? And what you need to know out of the 16 books that were excluded, it's actually really, 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 really easy. 11 of them, the ones that the Catholic Church allowed in, are apocryphal, which the very word apocrypha just simply means false. They're apocryphal books. Uh, They are all Old Testament books. They're not New Testament books. They're Old Testament books. And here's what you need to know. The Jews, who were the caretakers of the Old Testament, looked at those books and said, they are so clearly fallacious. They misrepresent who wrote them. They are clearly filled with mythology and lies. And the Jews never, 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 never allowed any of them in. The ones that we're referring to that are New Testament are actually books which are written hundreds of years after Christ, and mostly are comprised of a thing that we call the Gnostic Gospels, which were really actually books written to attack Christianity. Uh, There's the Gospel of Judas. Guys, Judas did not write a gospel, he was hanging himself. He did not write a gospel and what you find when you go to the Gnostic Gospels is is that it is so clear that one of them says hey I was written by Peter. Peter did not write that we know that Peter did not write that gospel so it means at the very very beginning of it the person who wrote it wrote it as a forgery and lied about its authorship and I'm just going to tell you that if you are lying from the first sentence that is not Bible that's criminal and you don't put that book in God's holy word and you just need to know that as much as people want to make a big deal and go oh this didn't put it in the books that are not included are so obviously fallacious there aren't books that go oh man you know what maybe maybe we the books that are excluded are so filled with error and mistake and deception that they have no place in scripture you and I do not have to worry about this You and I have an accurate representation of God's word, and there are no serious contenders to be included. Period. Okay, there you go. One person's happy about that. All right. Woo! There you go. Okay. All right, here we go. Uh, Where does it say in the Bible that God doesn't give you more than you can handle? That's a good question, isn't it? Because I need that verse. All right, grab your Bibles. Grab your Bibles. Uh, 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. If you're not real familiar, if you go to the back of your Bible, work to the left, you're going to find this passage. Where's that verse? Because he gave me a son that I'm pretty sure is more than I can handle. Where? <laughs> So do I have permission to shoot him? Sure. All right, right, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse 13. Here you go. Here it is. Ready? No temptation has seized you except that which is common or normal to man. This is this is this is part of how life works. Everybody in life is gonna face some really messed up moments. Some more than others, but everybody does. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you are able to bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up underneath it. So it's basically saying, look, here's the deal. You're going to face life, and there are going to be moments in life that just absolutely stink. And this may be a direct temptation where you go, man, I I just want to cheat on my wife, or I'd like to watch that show, or I'd like to gossip right now, and it's temptation. Or it can just be that life gets so heavy... The burden of life and the temptation is to say, look, this Jesus thing isn't working. I'm going to turn my back on God and leave. I, you know, he's not helping me very much. And Scripture just says, look, God is not going to put you in any situation. That you're ready, though, and here's the part you've got to get. Not that you can bear by yourself. See what he says? But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out. He's going to provide for you the capacity, either by bringing friends in your life that are going to help support you, by getting you down on your knees and praying like a big dog, that God will give you strength. But God just simply says, look, I promise you, I will not let anything happen to you that with my help and with the body of Christ and other believers, that you can't make it to the other side. Okay? Now, here's, here's the part that's that's cool about this. If you If that's true and if God is faithful about that, and you are facing really, really, really big problems in your life right now, did you know that's a compliment? Now think about it a second. God said, "I will not let you face anything that you with my help cannot bear up underneath." Which means if you're facing big stuff, that's kind of a backhanded compliment. Think about this. If if you're a baby Christian, and let's say on a scale of 1 to 10, you're a 2. Okay? you got a long way to go. You're a two. And if God just promised us that he will never bring a problem in your life that you with his help cannot bear, then what size of problems can God bring in your life? Ones and twos. And what God just promised is I will never bring you a three. Because you cannot bear that. So, you ready? If God just brought you a number seven problem, what did God just say about you? you're at least a seven. You, you may not know it. You, you may not realize it right now. But I'm, t- I, I'm telling you, you can do this. You can, in this moment, with my help, you can stand. And when you and I face the hardest moments of our life, you realize God only gives us what he can trust us with. And if you are facing something, you go, man, this thing is monstrous, Okay then get on your knees and get right with God and get close to God because he said, I will not bring you anything that with my help you cannot bear up underneath. There's a backwards compliment in this thing. There's a trust from God that in this moment you can live it well and not blow up your Christian faith. Let me ask you, here, here's, here's where we're messed up, guys. We think somehow that following Jesus makes everything okay. Can I just burst your bubble? <laughs> following Jesus does not make everything Okay. Matter of fact, following Jesus may be the hardest thing you ever do in your life. I'm going to suggest it takes real men and real women to stand in a dark culture that is anti-spiritual and anti-moral and anti-the things of God and survive. This isn't easy. This is the hardest thing you will ever do. Now, top that off. Not only are you and I having to stand in a hard culture, but it's God's desire to make you look like Jesus. And I'm just going to tell you that nobody looks like Jesus from a couch. Let me say that again. Nobody looks like Jesus from a couch. Guess where Jesus ended up? On a cross. So why are you and I so shocked when God gives us crosses to bear so that we can look like Jesus? Matter of fact, Jesus said, if anyone comes after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. See, this, this, this is not spring break. It's not. It's a call to follow God and lay down our lives doing it. Matter of fact, grab your Bibles real quick. Go with me to Romans chapter 8. It's going to be a little bit uh, to the left in your Bible. Romans chapter 8. This is, this is that verse we love in the Bible, and we, we, don't worry, everything works for good. You haven't read this passage. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Here's what it says. So before you quote it next time, think about what you're saying. Okay, you ready? Romans chapter 8, verse 28. We know that in all things God works for the good. Okay? Right, you get this, guys. Not my good. Not so that I get special premium channels on cable. Not, not so that I get to buy a power boat. That's not no, no 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 not so that I get the promotion at work. That's not what it says. It's not my good and not what I decided I want to have. It's the good. Okay? God works all things for the good, for those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose, for God, for those God foreknew, he predestined, you ready to hear what good is? To be conformed to the likeness of his son. And God's saying here, hey, the best thing that can happen in your life is that you end up looking like Jesus. That's what good is, which means this, are you Ready? there are times in our lives that God brings us problems because, because, because you and I were working so hard to be comfortable and you and I were working so hard for our IRA to expand and our retirement to be secure. And and you and I were working so hard to figure out if we could clean our carpets this week. And God said, look, that's not the good. The good is, is that you would look like my son Jesus. And so I am willing to bring you a problem Because as you navigate that problem, you're either going to decide to turn your back on Jesus, or you're going to decide to be like Jesus. And there are lessons in your life that you will never learn. Lessons of faith, lessons of strength, lessons of godly character that you will never learn without the problem. And how often do you and I sit in a problem and go, oh, God, take my problem away. It's the wrong answer. God gave you the problem. He gave you the problem so you would look like Jesus. And a better prayer, you ready? A better prayer is, God, teach me whatever you need to teach me as quickly as I possibly can (laughs) so that you no longer have to give me the problem. Let me learn what I don't know yet in my life, because then if I learn the lesson, the problem can go away. Does that make sense? All right, I guess we'll wrap it up. How many women in this room like diamonds? Okay, all right, most women. Some of you are a little strange, but okay, most women. You know where diamonds come from, right? Coal, one of the most worthless common substances in the world coal becomes one of the most precious sought after stuff. You can take a chunk of coal like this and we stick it in a diesel engine or a, a locomotive and we burn it up or we put it in a furnace and we make electricity. But take a diamond that big and women you mount it and you go, ooh, he loves me. Right? How do you get coal to be a diamond? What else? What else? You're a chunk of coal. That God is trying to form into a diamond that looks like Jesus Christ. Which means, guess what he's going to bring to your life and you and I should not be surprised about? Heat, pressure, and time. And every time a problem comes, we go, oh God, I'm just get rid of it right now, take it... Your problem is never going to go away as fast as you want it to go away. Can I just tell you right now? It'll always go away too late. And it'll always feel heavier than you want to have. And it'll always be hotter in the kitchen than you want to be. Because that's how God makes diamonds out of us. And instead of fighting and resisting and crying and kicking, wouldn't a better answer be, Jesus, make me into a diamond. Teach me what you need to teach me. I'm not going to be a follower of Jesus from my couch. Okay. Well, you guys hate those question and answer. Like, wow, he's really beating us up. All right. Um. Okay. All right. All right. Here we go. Here we go. This is another one just to be. All right. Uh, is divorce wrong if you can't live with a controlling negative woman uh, <laughs> that brings out the worst in you? Yeah. <sighs> you know, I, I, biblically, you probably can't get divorced, but you probably ought to shoot her. Just put her down. No, I'm... <laughs> I'm teasing. Don't write the email. Don't do it. All right, so let's go. Let's look what the Bible says about a divorce, real quick. Grab your Bibles. Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19. Go all the way to the back, work to the left. Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19, verse 4. This is Jesus talking about this issue of divorce. The Pharisees come to him, and they're not believing in the resurrection. And so they say, hey, you know, what if this one guy marries a woman, and then uh, he dies, and so then his brother ends up marrying her, and then he dies, and then his other brother marries her, and, you know, this happens like seven times. When they get to heaven, you know, whose wife is she at that point? And they did this to try to tease Jesus and trick him because they didn't believe you actually went to heaven and resurrected. They thought you laid in the grave grave and slept. So Jesus is talking about that, but in the midst of this he talks about a little bit about divorce. Here we go. It's Matthew chapter 19, starting in verse four. Here's what Jesus says back to him. He says, "Haven't you read?" He replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female." And he said, "For this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and will be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. They are no longer two but one. Therefore what God has joined together, let man not separate." So he just says right there, look. When you enter into that marriage contract, or not contract, when you enter that covenant, you are doing a one-time-for-life covenant. And, I, and you just need to hear this, guys. It is not a contract. So this isn't, hey, when I married him, I thought he was going to earn 100000 and I thought we were going to have a summer cabin, and I thought, and I thought. That's not what this is. It's not a contract. And if he gets sick or loses his job, he, it's not a contract. That's why in the marriage vows, it says for better or for worse. worse. And I'm just going to tell you something, ladies, ladies, when he is dating you, he is courting you. See, what you said was, you know what, he's kind of half-cooked, his mother hasn't finished with him yet, I can fix him, you're crazy, this is as good as he's ever going to be. That's why there's the four worst clause in the marriage covenant, okay? It's as good as it gets, women. Now he's got the remote in his hand, and it is all downhill from here, okay? And it's not a contract. This isn't he never turned out, she never turned out like I hoped they would. They're not treating me the way I want them to. This isn't I will stay married if or because This is a covenant of a lifetime that says, I will be with you, and you ready for this? Not because you're the husband I hope for. I am going to marry you because I love you so much that my goal in life is to be the wife you hope for. I'm going to marry you not because you're going to be the wife I want. I'm going to marry you because I love you so much I'm going to be the husband you always dreamed of. And the focus in the marriage is not the other person's performance. It's always on mine. And it's a lifelong covenant. That's what it says, okay? Verse 7. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? And Jesus replied, you ready for this? Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. That's why you're divorcing, he says, because your hearts are hard. And somewhere your heart turned and said, You're not performing. You're not doing what I want you to do. You're not meeting my expectations. And Jesus says, That's, that's hard hearted. That's, that is not what this is about. But it was not this way from the beginning. This isn't what God created it to be, he's saying. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman commits adultery. And so Jesus just very clearly says, Look, you're in. You're in. And the only escape clause here is if she goes out and commits adultery, if he goes out and commits adultery, then God says, look, this is such a deep violation of the relationship between a man and a woman. And some other time we'll talk about why sex is not just two bodies rubbing together. It is actually a play act of the covenant between a man and a woman. And there is probably no more sacred thing that you and I do as humans than when a man and a woman play at the covenant of marriage. It's not just two pieces of flesh rubbing together. And so God says if they violate that, if the man takes that outside the marriage or the woman takes that outside the marriage, that is such a deep violation of the promise of marriage that in that case, we're okay. Now grab with, go with me one more place, real quick. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 7. It's going to be to the right in your Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I think it's verse 10, let's, let's start there. Here's what it says, First Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, here's what it says, uh, to the married I give a command, not I but the Lord, and all he's saying here when he says, he's not saying this isn't scripture when he says God's not giving, he's saying, remember Jesus said you could divorce for marital unfaithfulness, and now he's saying, I know Jesus didn't say this, let me tell you what I'm adding to it, this is something that Jesus didn't refer to, ready? A wife must not separate from her husband, but if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And a husband must not divorce his wife. To the rest I say, not the Lord. If any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to live with her, he must not divorce him. For the the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through the wife and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her husband. Otherwise your children would be unclean as it is they are holy but if the unbeliever leaves, let him do so. A believing man or a woman is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. Okay, now, here's what you need to say, okay? When he he talks about the husband being sanctified and the children being made, he's not talking about just because the wife is a Christian that the husband's a Christian. That's not what he's saying. He's simply saying this, you, by being in that home, become the best representation of Christ to your unbelieving spouse. And if you leave, See, sanctification is this nudge in the right direction. If you leave, then the light in that marriage is going to leave the marriage. What hope does your husband have of knowing Jesus if you abandon the marriage? You are his best chance. You are your wife's best chance, if she doesn't know Jesus, that they would come to know Jesus. And, And then even further, he gets to the children. He says, and what if you leave and now your children are staying with the unbelieving spouse? What shot do they have of understanding God? And he's saying, no, 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 no. If, if the person that you're with doesn't know Jesus but is willing to stay in the marriage, you stay in that marriage. Because here's the deal. You are God's assignment to put light into that relationship. You are their best shot of ever knowing the Savior. So here we go. Ready? We just said two reasons. Two reasons Scripture gives that divorce is permissible. Ready? Unfaithfulness, marital unfaithfulness, abandonment by the unbelieving spouse two reasons, and you go, whoa, Lynn, that, wow, that, that makes the back door of marriage about that big. I mean, that's tiny, Lynn. I mean, what do you do with that naggy wife? What do, you, what do you do with that husband who's just a jerk, okay? And the answer is, you don't divorce. You don't divorce. And here's what I want to say out loud real quickly. If you're a woman who's being hit physically, leave the house leave the house. Leave the house today, call the police on him and get his behind put in jail. Cuz that's illegal. Okay? But you don't divorce. You just simply say and what the scripture say, I'd rather be single than live in an abusive relationship. So I will live in a separate home and you can go beat up the dog, but you're not beating me up. Okay? Leave the house. God's not asking you to stay in an abusive relationship. But you're also not to divorce. I hear you. After he gets done beating the dog, he'll probably go cheat on you anyways. And that'll be another chapter. But anyway, sorry. The back door is tiny. Here's why it's tiny, guys, because all you guys are going, you're gonna you're gonna do what the disciples did with Jesus. I go, man, if that's really how it works, why would anyone ever get married? I mean, why would you want to do that? For sex. No, I'm teasing I'm, te- <laughs> I'm, te- I'm teasing. I'm teasing. Don't write that email. <laughs> uh, you guys, this is the, one of the most powerful gifts that Jesus ever gave you, was a tiny back door. Here's why. Because I promise you there's not a married couple in this room who hasn't been so irritated with their spouse that they walked away from an argument or they went through a season of their life and here's the question they ask. Why in the heck am I married to them? Anybody want to raise hands with Okay, never mind. You're going to get in trouble. Okay, and here is supposed to be the next answer. Here's what God in his grace and kindness and love for you and love for your children and love for your spouse did when he made that back door so small. As you walk away going, I am in the worst marriage ever and my mo- my wife is a mess and if I'd only known before I got in that she was this way or he was that way, I would have never married them. And now you're looking at the coworker and the grass is greener and you're thinking, hey, and all of a sudden you go, oh man, but biblically I, I have no grounds. So you ready for this? The next thing in your mind is supposed to be so I'm stuck which is the most positive thing that could happen in your life because here's what what happens so I better figure out how to fix what's broken in my marriage right now because I'm going to spend the next 30, 40 years with that person and this is yuck so instead of turning your back and walking away a small back door forces you and I to turn our faces and walk toward our spouse and say, hey, can we talk about that again? Could we work through that disagreement? Could we come to a place of compromise and understanding and teamwork within our relationship? Because I, I don't wanna have this fight again for the next 40 years. How do we solve this? I am a high D personality, which means I have never walked into the room and not thought I was right, okay? My wife is a first born high D personality. You tell me how that works. It is a hundred times of us turning and saying, I don't ever wanna argue about that again, and turning toward each other and saying, so let's sit down and fix this in a way that it doesn't come back and keep biting us in our marriage. And I have to do this even though the secretary looks good and even though this is a lot of work because the back door of marriage is so small I don't have an escape clause yet. It's an amazingly powerful gift because if it were up to us we'd all be jumping out of our marriages. We'd look like the Romans. And God in his love gave you and me tiny back doors. All right. So time is up, sorry about that. All right, so here you go. Hey, just so that that you know, okay, uh, some of the stuff you asked, we're going to try and go online, post answers to everything if we possibly can. That's going to be coming up in the next few weeks if you didn't get your uh, questions answered. Uh, If you heard something today and you're just desperately mad at me, uh, here's the email that you're going to send something to. Marty Sawyers... (laughs) Now here's what I'm going to challenge you to do. You, I guarantee you, some of us heard things today and, and you're just, you're really frustrated with me. That's okay, that's okay, it's okay. Before you write the email, read your scripture. And after you read scripture, if you come back and say, Lynn, you misrepresented, you told us something that wasn't true, then write the email and back it up with Bible. But if you get into the Bible and it says, oh my goodness, we, we just spoke truth to each other, then your job then is to bring your life into obedience to the Bible. Because when you and the Bible disagree, guess who's wrong? Every time. All right, let's pray. Hey, dear Lord Jesus, we just thank you right now. We thank you for a chance to go to Scripture and that you haven't left us out here just wondering how to do life, but instead you've given us answers. And God, I'm just going to ask that we would be a people of the Word, that we would absolutely live in conformity and obedience to what you teach. And in those moments when we don't like what you say, we would. Respond by saying, look, if I were God, I wouldn't write it that way, but because I'm not, because I'm not, I choose to obey. I choose to live my life in obedience. God, we, we are committed to following you no matter what the cost. This we pray in Jesus' name.